Our Old Testament reading is Psalm 116. And then our New Testament reading and text for the sermon is Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 to 30. Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 to 30. So first of all, Psalm 116, hear the word of the Lord. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy, because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me, the pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I'll lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant, I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. And then our New Testament reading from Philippians chapter 2 beginning with verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my fellow brother and my, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger. And minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious to receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This is the word of God. 
Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would bless the reading and the hearing of your word, every word. And the canon of Scripture is God-breathed. It's your very word and profitable for us, for our instruction, for our teaching, sometimes for our reproof. Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit would illumine your word, that we would learn of you and learn of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now, Lord, grant the strength and the unction and the anointing of your Holy Spirit to your servant and the preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we're working our way through this very warm and personal epistle that Paul is writing to the Philippians, giving thanks to them, because when they learned of his circumstance and situation, being now imprisoned in Rome for the sake of the gospel, they had sent Epaphroditus along with a gift, evidently a fairly substantial gift, in order to care for his needs during his imprisonment. And, and so he sat down and he wrote this very warm and personal epistle. I've said to you from the beginning of our study of this particular epistle, um, the wonderful relationship that Paul enjoyed with this particular church in Philippi. And that comes into view in the text that we have before us this morning. Paul moves from exhortation that he gave to us, we saw that two weeks ago when I was here, certain exhortations now to telling about his immediate plans, what he intends to do. And as we look at those plans, we see really how remarkable they are. Remember Paul's situation. Like I said, he's in prison. He's chained to a palace guard. He's under house arrest. He's awaiting trial before Nero. Who knows what Nero will do? Paul expects that he's going to be set free, but he doesn't know that for sure. It may depend upon what kind of mood Nero is in when he wakes up that particular morning with his It's going to be thumbs down. This is a man that we recognize to be in need if he doesn't really recognize that himself. I think he knows it, but he's content in the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Lord Jesus Christ purposes for him in this providence that has befallen him. We've also seen how his imprisonment has served rather than enchaining the gospel to set the gospel loose in Rome itself. Because Paul under house arrest can have visitors and visitors come in and Paul preaches the gospel to the visitors who come. And he's chained to palace guard, and evidently they're coming under the hearing. Well, of course they're coming under the hearing of the gospel because they're chained to him. They can't escape. They've got to guard him. And some of those evidently are being converted to the Lord Jesus Christ, and the gospel is spread even into Caesar's own household. So rather than chaining the gospel, the gospel is set loose through Paul's circumstances, and that's what's most significant to him. Now what we see in the text and his plans going forward is the tenderness of the apostle and his love for the sheep that are in Philippi. 
One of the things that we have to be aware of when we're reading the Scripture, one thing we have to be a bit wary of when we're reading the Scriptures, is we don't just look at examples in the Scripture and say, be like Paul, or be like Daniel, or don't be like Saul. We can fall into that kind of interpretation of the Bible when that's not what's intended. But in this very epistle, the Paul, Paul says to the Philippians, and therefore to us, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So there are things that we can learn by the examples of the ones that we see that are in the text of Scripture. And I think here it is an example of that, what we have in the text that we have before us. Paul loves the Philippians more than he loves himself. It's just evident. He says, I'm going to send Timothy to you. Now think about it. Think of Paul's need. He's in prison. Think of Paul's relationship to Timothy. Timothy is like a son to him. Not physically, but he's begotten of the Holy Spirit through the ministry of Paul, and he's taking him on as a son. And if you fast forward to Paul's second imprisonment and to the second epistle that he wrote to Timothy, you see how desperately he wants Timothy there with him. Come to me quickly. Bring my cloak. Bring the parchments as he is being poured out as a drink offering to the Lord and his death is imminent. There's nobody closer to the Apostle Paul, especially in the latter part of his ministry, than Timothy. I want you to think about that because here he is in prison. He's about to face Nero. He doesn't know what the outcome's going to be. And he says, I'm going to send Timothy to you. Now, granted, he does say, after I learned what happens to me, <laughs> but I'm going to send Timothy to you. You would think Paul, under these circumstances, would, would say, I need Timothy here with me. But he's sending Timothy because he trusts Timothy to communicate to the people there his circumstances, and also to return to him to tell him what's going on in the church at Philippi. You see the sacrificial spirit and the love of Paul. He's willing to yield that person that means the most to him for a season because he loves the church at Philippi. You can see that right here in the text. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be cheered by news of you. Not just that you have news of me. I want to hear about you. I want to hear about your faith, your testimony. I want to hear about your growth in Christ. I want to hear about how God is blessing the church in Philippi. Paul, in prison, still cares more for those to whom he has ministered than he does for his own self, just like he cared more for the gospel and its spread than he does for his own condition. It's why he writes the epistle of joy while in prison, because Satan's attempt to silence him has set the gospel loose. And so he's willing to yield Timothy to them for their sakes because he loves them. He then adds something in verse 20 and verse 21 that that you don't quite expect, especially as we're reading through this, and especially as he's, he's rejoicing that the gospel is being spread even by those that are taking courage to preach it in the streets because Paul's preaching it in prison. 
But he tells us something. This is something that we see sometimes in Paul's epistles. It's something we see in the life of the church. Let it be a warning to you as well. In verse 20 he says, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Timothy's the only one. Of course, except from that is Epaphroditus that he's going to send too. Where are all the others? Who else can he trust? And then he adds in verse 21, For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. There are those that have been in association with Paul in his, in his ministry from prison. They're in jail that are slipping away. They're falling away. Let this always be a warning to you to keep an eye upon your own soul. And also, well, we need to pray for God to send us an organizing pastor to come and shepherd us and for God to raise up elders from among us in order to give oversight and care and shepherd your souls because of the tendency that we have to fall away. There are times when you read Paul's epistles, in an earlier epistle he will mention someone, in a later epistle he would he'll speak of how they have apostatized and left the faith. You might say, well, if we believe in election and if we believe in the five points of Calvinism, one who's really regenerated will not fall away. That is true. We believe in the perseverance of the saints. But the warnings against apostasy are throughout the scriptures and they are important and they're genuine and they're real. The book of Hebrews is written primarily to that particular concern. And Paul says here, they're thinking about themselves. They're not thinking about Christ. I have Timothy. I'm going to send him. But you see how much that cost Paul. If Timothy is really the only true confidant that he has in this hour, other than Epaphroditus that he's about to mention next, then Paul will be by himself in the midst of his ordeal. This is self-sacrificing. This is giving of himself. This is emulating the Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul says, follow my example, imitate me as I imitate Christ, leaders need to be ready to say that. I'm going to tell you something. That's hard for me to say. I stumble over the words. As a minister of the gospel, I stumble. It's hard for me to say to you, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Because I know my weaknesses. And there are things about me I don't want you to imitate. And yet we see the seasoned Saint Paul ready to say this. And here we see that he is imitating Christ in what he does when he sends Timothy. Because this is exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us in far greater measure than what Paul is doing for the Philippians. It's exactly what God the Father has done for us in far greater measure than what Paul is doing for the Philippians. Paul is seeding for a season his son in order to bring comfort to the Philippians in order to receive word about what's going on in Philippi himself that's a sacrifice 
But God the Father sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us. You see? What kind of love is this that He would sacrifice the one He loves most, His eternal Son, in order to save sinners? This is something we've seen as we've looked at Philippians. Paul comes with exhortations of how we are to live our lives and grounds them in the great work of God himself in Christ Jesus. We saw that in Philippians 2. We see Paul saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ. We see him imitating Christ in this self-sacrificial love of yielding up his son Timothy for the benefit of the Philippians at his own expense is a mirror, a microcosm of what God the Father has done for us in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what Paul does is not redemptive. What Christ does is redemptive. (laughs) The gap is significant between the two. But it's the attitude of self-sacrificial love that we see in Christ, that we see here as an example in the Apostle Paul. And he says, imitate me. Therefore, this is to characterize us. It's to characterize our lives. Let's move on then to Epaphroditus. Verse 25, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my need. Now remember who Epaphroditus is. He's a Philippian. He's from Philippi. He's from the church there. When they learned of Paul's condition, they took up being in in prison, they took up an offering. Epaphroditus delivers the offering. Also, Epaphroditus is sent by them to minister to Paul's need. And he needed Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus comes and meets his need. But he is anxious to send Epaphroditus back to them. Now, I am confident as we read the epistle that the mission they sent Epaphroditus on was, you stay until it's done. You take the gift, you administer the gift, that is the monetary gift, because he had to pay rent for the house that he's in where he's imprisoned. You see it through. You see Paul through this ordeal. Before you return. And that's what Epaphroditus wanted to do. But Paul now, in the midst of it, says, I'm sending Epaphroditus back to you. Why? Because he knows they're concerned about Epaphroditus. And he knows that Epaphroditus is troubled because they're concerned about him. Because what happened to Epaphroditus is Epaphroditus got sick. Perhaps on the voyage itself. Perhaps as he's traveling from Philippi down to to Rome in order to deliver the gift. We don't know for sure what occasioned his illness, but he is so sick that he was near death. The other thing that you can tell from the paragraph is, is that the Philippians had news of his sickness, but not of the outcome. So they send Epaphroditus 
Epaphroditus goes. They get word that Epaphroditus is very sick. That's the last that they've heard. Surely they're praying for their brother as he's sick. And Paul wants them to be encouraged. And what a better way to encourage them about their prayers for their brother that they're concerned about is he going to live is if Epaphroditus comes walking in the door of the church. Restored by God. Now just as an aside here, I want to say something about miracles in the Bible and about sickness and about how it is that God works in terms of sickness. There are Bible verses that say that God heals our diseases. We know that the Bible says that. A lot of people think when they read the Bible that the Bible is full of miracles. I mean, as an everyday occurrence. That in Bible times, somebody was getting healed. Somebody was walking on, well, Jesus was walking on water. But, but somebody was working some miracle. Every time you turn around, miracles were taking place. And a lot of people today say, we don't see those miracles. So how can we believe that they happened then? They didn't happen every day in Bible days. Miracles are rare in the Bible. When you're talking about thousands of years of history, if you look at the theology of miracles, if you look at where miracles are found in the Bible, they are clustered at certain times with the advancement and progress of revelation. They didn't happen every day. A lot of times we think, okay, the apostles had signs and wonders and people were being healed all over the place. And there are descriptions of that. You know, just the shadow of Peter and people being healed passing by. Or a piece of, of Paul's clothing falls upon someone and they're healed. You see signs and wonders in Scripture. But if you look at the progress in, in the first century and the chronology of what we read in the New Testament... You see less and less miracles as the church becomes more and more established. Yes, Epaphroditus is healed here. But it appears as if this is a disease he had for some time and was gravely ill near death. And what it appears happens here is that the Philippians hear about it. They're praying about it. Paul knows about it. Paul's praying for him. This isn't the working of a miracle. It's an answer to a prayer. And Epaphroditus is raised up. God does answer prayers, and God answers prayers sometimes in very dramatic and powerful ways. We see this even in our own lives, in our own experience. But that's something different from the signs and wonders that you see that are clustered at places in Scripture. Even the apostolic signs and wonders are more pronounced early in the apostolic ministry, the ministry of the apostles, and are not as frequent as you come to the end. This is in some ways in... In, in response to the to the charismatic movement that we see today that really expects that there's going to be signs and wonders and miracles work every day wherever you turn because of that assumption that's found when they read the Bible. They don't understand the theology of miracles in the Bible and the purpose of signs and wonders in the first place. But God answered their prayers. Epaphroditus is healed. From his deathbed. And Paul wants them to see him again. And he longs for them. It's clear in the text. Look what he says. 
I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have had sorrow upon sorrow. The healing of of Epaphroditus is a great comfort to Paul, and he knew that it would be a great comfort to his brothers and sisters in his own hometown and church in Philippi. So he's going to send Epaphroditus back to them so they can see what God has done for their brother. I am all the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious about your concern for your brother, you see. Again, what do we have here? We have two people that are important to the Apostle Paul. Timothy, who is by his side, his side more than anybody else in the latter part of his ministry, his son in the faith, and then Epaphroditus, who's been sent down from the Philippian church as a comfort to him and who has served as a comfort to him, and yet he's thinking about this church more than he's thinking about himself. And he says, I'm sending you Timothy, and I'm sending you Epaphroditus. And like I said, the Apostle Paul is emulating the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who loved you, more than he loved himself. Remember when he prayed in the garden? If there's any way, remove this cup from me. What a vivid picture that is. What cup? The cup of the wrath of God. We can't, we can know, there's no way we can understand the dynamic of what's taking place. When the eternal God the Son who has enjoyed a communion and face-to-faces with the Father from all eternity of mutual love and mutual penetration of the three persons into each other. And this fellowship of love that is so deep within the one God who's eternally existed in these three persons. That communion of love, love, love. What's about to happen the next day after Jesus is praying? Your sins are going to be imputed to him on the cross and God's wrath against sin is going to come down upon his own son who's his son in the flesh in your stead. Do you understand that dynamic? Do you understand what it was for Jesus who has basked his entire existence, which is eternal, as has the Father, in mutual love for each other to receive instead the wrath and the judgment of God in your stead? He loved you more than he loved himself. He loved you more than he loved himself. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He prayed it three times. Can this cup be removed? Not my will, thine be done. And he drank every drop of the cup of the wrath of God for you. That's the demonstration of the love of God to you. It's that profound. And when God is at work in us, conforming us to 
His Son. He's at work in us, causing us to love Him and to love each other. And though it's far to a lesser degree and even filled with imperfection, yet it's genuine and it's real. And it's manifest in the love that brothers and sisters have for each other in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see that demonstrated here with Paul in his hour of need, sacrifice his son in the faith, Timothy, for a season, and Epaphroditus, who have been there to tend to him, to care for him in the midst of his circumstance for the sake of the Philippians, the Philippians who are concerned for their brother that they learned was ill, but they have not learned that, the God, that, that, that God has raised him up in answer to prayer. And Timothy, the one he can entrust with the message of his circumstance and entrust to come back to him with his report of how things are going in the church in Philippi. And here he is in prison about to face Nero, and his concerns are more for how is the gospel being advanced in far distant Philippi in this church that I love. And that needs to be mirrored in the church here and now. Here. And I see it. It's one of the things I'm rejoicing in and how this mission work is becoming a church. It's the way you're caring for each other. It's evident in the Group Me app. I have been getting other mission works to sign up for Group Me's because of what I've witnessed that's happened here. And Jim is one that keeps the thing driving every single day, even when his son is in the circumstance that he's in, he's still reminding us of who to pray for next. That's the love of a brother for his brothers and sisters in Christ. Or Chuck writing a letter to Robbie as he's in his own imprisonment, different circumstance from Paul's. He knows that, we know that, but he's our brother in Christ. And his response. And and, and when he's released, where's he going to feel welcomed? Where's he going to want to go and be and perhaps finally become a member? It's going to be here among the brothers and sisters in Christ who have cared for him. I see this at work among you. It's a beautiful thing to see. You're not a group anymore. You're becoming a church. As you're praying for each other, as you're looking out for each other, you're you're emulating Paul who's emulating the Lord Jesus Christ. Being self-sacrificial in our giving and remembering that this is what God has done for you. If you ever want to know how much does God love you, does he really love me? Look at the cross. He says, this is how much I love you. And now we must love each other in imperfection, yes, The gap is enormous between God's love for us and our love for each other. But yet, it's reflected in our love for each other, just like it's reflected here in Paul's love for the Philippians, Philippians' love for him, and in this sacrifice that he is making 
of these two that he needs because he thinks they need them more right now. Let this be reflected in you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Texts like this, which which are really just Paul announcing his plans, and yet we can see motivations that are there. And when he says that we're to imitate him as he imitates you, we see that this is precisely what's happening. Lord Jesus, we want to emulate you. And how we love each other. Thank you for so great a love that we can never fully comprehend its depth. But we rejoice in it. We thank you for it. Now let it be reflected in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.